What does it mean to influence differently? Introducing Techfluential from Deloitte, C-suite conversations with tech-driven leaders. In this episode, host Lou DiLorenzo explores why the role of the CIO is changing and how successful leaders are embracing the opportunity. Coming up on the Money Bee podcast, inflation's on the rise around the world, and we'll get more data later this week. Plus, banks are reporting. City, Wells, J.P. Morgan, we'll break them down for you. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, and welcome to the Money Beat look at the week ahead. This is Steve Grosser. I'm joined in the studio with... David Riley, the Grand Poobah, I think is what I called you earlier today, of the the banking group. I thought that was Grand Pooh Bear. Pooh Bear. <laughs> and the head of the tape columnist, uh, Steve Russillo. And on the phone, we have Josh Mitchell from Washington, D.C. Hi, Josh. How are you doing? I'm great. It's Friday. I cannot yeah. complain. <laughs> um, I guess we'll start off right with you. There's gonna The, the calendar is light. There's no jobs report like we had last week. Um, how does we have, do have some inflation data? What is that looking like for both the U.S. and and globally? Yeah, so we have inflation data uh, coming out of the U.K., coming out of China, and coming out of the U.S. And I think the overarching theme is we've been in this low inflation environment for years now, but we're seeing some signs this year that we might be heading out of that environment. In the U.S., obviously, we saw recently that the Fed's preferred inflation measure finally hit its target after a number of years, um, its 2% annual target. And uh, we're also so we'll we'll get an update on inflation in the U.S. on Friday with the Consumer Price Index. That's not the Fed's preferred inflation measure, but it, it is something that uh, they closely watches, and uh, we'll see if that trend continues there. We're also seeing you know some higher inflation in the U.K. Um, that may not have continued in in March, but we'll get an update on that um, on Tuesday, and uh, you know that could influence the Bank of England's path. They've been sending some hawkish signals of late, and. and China, we will get inflation data. Um, inflation is still really weak in China, um, but the, the central bank there is a little less concerned about inflation right now and more concerned about um, possible as, asset bubbles um, and just a big pileup of debt in that country. So, um, But that, that will give us a, a pretty good picture of inflation just around the globe. And as I said, you know, we're, it, it looks like increasingly we're, we've turned a corner, um, or, or maybe, you know, it's, it's, it's too early to tell, but maybe we've turned a corner and are now out of this low inflation environment and, and, are, and are on the, on the upswing. And Josh, you mentioned that uh, we just recently hit the Fed's uh, preferred 2 percent uh, inflation target. There's also been a lot of chatter that maybe the Fed should consider raising this this target. Where, where do you stand on this, and and what is what are the arguments for and against such a move? Well, the Fed has said that it's a target and it's not a ceiling, so it has actually indicated that it's it's fine seeing, you know, inflation go a little bit above two percent for a little while. Um, it's been so low for so so long, and. Uh, you know, I where do I come down in this debate? I'm I'm just the the lowly reporter that gets to report on both sides. Um, I don't I, count yourself you know, so short, Josh. <laughs> one of the you know one of the big questions here, and we saw this with the jobs report this morning, is that in, uh, 
the unemployment rate is now actually below the Fed's uh, level that it considers full employment. It's now at 4.5 percent, and yet um, – And so that's considered inflationary, right, Josh? Well, it could be. You know? And so one of the big questions is, I mean, wage growth actually wasn't that strong. So wage yeah. so if, if we're in an inflationary environment, you would expect wage growth to be you know, picking up and you – know, because you know, the, the theory is Where did that wage if, growth come in? That was at 2.7 percent, a little bit lower than what it was the prior month. I think it was 2.8 percent the prior month. Yep, that's right. Um, but it's that's still, pretty you know, good, though, right? It's, I mean, it's thinking back bad. a it's, year or two ago, the absolutely. Fed would have given the right arm for two point, anything above 2 percent. Yes, but y- yes, exactly. Um, keep in mind, uh, you know, actually real wage, you know, the, the interesting thing there, and this will get, this will affect our discussion on retail sales, is that inflation is also picking up. And so real wages actually might be growing at a slower pace than they were. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of interesting. It's kind of like, be careful what you wish for. Um, but, uh, you know, so the fact is there's there's this debate of, you know, is is 4.5% the real gauge here? I mean, we have this, you know, sort of shadow unemployment force and you know and Janet Yellen has said you know for a while now that she hopes some of these labor force dropouts come back in but it increasingly looks like maybe they're not and if that's the case 4.5% is the real gauge and yeah. so we might you know that might be indicative of indicative of a higher inflationary environment that we're heading into Josh um, going back to inflation could you just maybe clarify when you said you know the Fed's preferred measure and on Friday we're going to have CPI and just what's the difference between those two I things I think I think the differences don't quote me on this um, even though this is a, a radio program, um, <laughs> it's so okay. I I, we won't tell anyone. <laughs> um, I think uh, it, the, one of the differences is how they treat stuff like shelter costs. So you know, each each measure. So like the Commerce Department has the personal. Uh, price index for personal consumption expenditures. I hate writing that phrase as a report. <laughs> um, and then here we have the consumer price index from the Labor Department. Um, and it's just how they weight different things. Um, you know, how how much do you treat? You know, how what what weight do you give uh, shelter costs, or in other words, rent or or uh, rent rent equivalent if you have a mortgage? Um, so you know, it's the the Fed prefers the Commerce Department measure, but they they both sort of head in the same di- direction. Um, uh, the CPI is is showing inflation a little higher than what the PCE price index shows, but it, it, they're both basically heading in the same direction, which is that inflation's picking up. And, and on the, at the same time on Friday, we also have retail sales. That was a little weak last month, but what are we expecting this month? So uh, I think the I was looking at the economists' expectation. It's it's pretty weak overall. I think they they might expect it to fall. I I have a um, I'm assuming that has to do at least in part due to the weather. There was some stormy weather in March, and maybe that dented some economic activity, um, which also have impacted the jobs report quite a bit. When in doubt, yeah. blame the weather. Well, of course, yes, of course. <laughs> um, so you know I think uh, and and also uh, that might have to do with auto sales because. I think X autos, uh, if you exclude auto sales, retail sales are expected to pick up. Um, you know, but as um, as we were talking before the show, there was some some delay in IRS uh, refund checks um, the prior month, and so maybe as as more people get the refund checks, that might actually help retail sales. So it'll be interesting to see um, what happens there with retail sales. Just to kind of explain to the average you know reader who might not be an uh, an economics wonk, uh, retail sales is a big deal for you know reporters like me when we follow the economy because you know our economy relies on on consumer spending for about two thirds of its economic growth, and retail sales are a big chunk of consumer spending. So um, you know if 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 we do see signs of, of 
of a pickup in retail sales, that's very good for the overall economic growth picture here. Uh, and we've seen this booming stock market. We've seen you know higher wage growth, though, as I mentioned, um, that comes with higher inflation. And so you know real wages might not be as strong as um, as the wage growth would suggest. The, so yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, and the other thing too with retail sales and supporting is it, this has been something we've talked a lot about um, down in uh, down in you know money beat land is just this divergence we've seen between the sentiment and the, the hard data, where sentiment the soft is, data and hard data, yeah, yeah. is exploded. And there's there seems to be a lag with the hard data, which isn't necessarily shocking, but we're, I think a lot of people are waiting to see if the hard data sort of follows the soft data. Sure, absolutely. Also, you know, we've been looking at this for years, and um, I, I I just I don't get the sense that there's going to all of a sudden be this big surge in consumer spending. I think everyone <coughs> keeps on sort of expecting that at some point. I just, you know, I think consumers are, are, are still always going to be cautious. It just seems like there's this overall mentality of, you know, since since the recession of, you know, people are, are not going to, you know, run up their credit cards as much as they used to or get into a lot of debt as they used to. And, um, and Even if you look at yeah, something like the, uh, the the personal saving rate, uh, it's yeah. at you know roughly five and a half, five point six percent, which is actually higher, significantly higher than it was if you look at other boom periods in history. Right. You look at like the '90s and and uh, even in the mid 2000s, uh, the savings rate is a lot higher now than it was in those times, which were you know deep, well into economic expansionary times. Yeah, it's funny, and you know, like in other countries, people would like laugh at our savings rate, um, <laughs> or you know if. if if you, if you consult financial advisors, they you know they like you know scoff at five percent, but you're right. That's actually higher than what we are. That's actually good for America, um, given our track record at least over the past twenty years. So, yeah, you know it just it's it, you know and and that's why and and talking about retailers, I mean you know um, these online retailers, uh, you know obviously they're still you know selling stuff at like really low prices, which you know and I I think there there's just like this competition among them to you know try and grab market share that keeps prices low and. And consumers expect prices to be low, you know. Um, so hey, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to ask Steve. You're you know the head of Tape Commons. Are you bullish on retail sales or? Uh, I think that I, I mean there will probably be some sort of a pickup, or at least if you discount the weather for a second, there should be some sort of a pickup compared to what we saw in the February retail sales report, which was, as Josh mentioned, uh, affected by uh, tax refunds coming in a lot later than people expected, and so uh, therefore a little bit less spending power in that month. So you would think that some of that would spill <coughs> over to March, but of course with March, as you saw with the jobs report, and we're going to see with more data going forward is that the weather is going to play a role uh, in, I, I would say, a lot of these data points. So now if it gets distorted again, then maybe it gets pushed forward to April. Uh, but I think overall the trend is, as as Josh said it is, it, it, it's slow but steady growth in consumer spending. Uh, retail sales uh, up until February had been doing pretty well. Uh, and so you have to think that at some point that, that trend will resume pretty soon. I think that's a good place to take a break. Uh, be right, we'll be right back with a discussion of banks. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com consulting. IBM. Let's create. 
I'm Veronica Dagger, and I want to retire rich. How about you? Then listen to the Watching Your Wealth podcast. We'll help you get there. For more information, check us out at wsj.com slash podcast and find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Spotify. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now, from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, and welcome back to the Money Beat podcast. If you like this podcast, you like the Heard on the Street podcast, Media Mix, you should follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcast or on Facebook at facebook.com slash WSJ Podcast. You can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Just search WSJ on any of those apps. And also, if you have a Google, Android, you can find us on the Google Play Music app. Um, Dave, as we alluded to before the break, I think you're going to be uh, – we have you in to talk bank earnings. That's actually really probably the big thing next week. Yeah, I think that on is because on Thursday we've got – JP it's a trifecta. Morgan. It's right? the trifecta. We got JP Morgan, Citigroup, and Wells Fargo. So, you know, three of the four biggest banks in the U.S. Uh, coming out with their first quarter report, which is going to give us a view both of, you know, what the, the banking and so economic activity was like in the U.S. in the first quarter, as well as internationally, because JP Morgan and Citi are both very big internationally. And also, of course, you know, they also have big Wall Street arms. So it's going to be what was happening in the capital markets businesses. What I mean, I guess that's the question. I mean, we have been sort of stunned at the lack of volatility in uh, the capital markets over the last, you know, th- during the first quarter. Is that going to trans? Is that going to be a bad thing for their uh, for the Wall Street banks? Well, I think you have to start of divide it. So, right. one when you're talking about the volatility, you're talking about the equities markets. Um, if you look at some of the comments we've seen from some of the banks, Citigroup, Morgan Stanley, over the past month or so, equities is pr- uh, trading revenue is probably going to be pretty soft in the quarter, which is continuing what we saw last year. But on the other hand, the much bigger part of the capital markets pie, the fixed income side, right. which is debt, uh, commodities, and currencies, that seems to have been doing well. And this, if, it, if it's another good uh, quarter for fixed income, that would mean we've seen four good fixed income quarters in a row. That would really, I think, cement the idea that Wall Street over the past 12 months has hit sort of a, a turning point. But Dave, when we think big picture and we think uh, <laughs> banks and Wall Street here, uh, obviously after the election, banks, bank stocks had a huge, huge run. Big uh, re-rating. Big re-rating in, in the sector, really, uh, overall. Uh, over the past month, though, bank stocks have, have come back a bit. And so even with that pullback, though, they are still really high compared to where they were before the election. So now we get to see some actual fundamental uh, numbers here that will either support these well, rallies think, or not. I think so where the thing is what you're not going to see is the numbers that would directly support the re-rating of banks since the election. It's too soon for that. Okay, the, the re-rating of banks is based on a couple of things. So obviously you had the idea that the Trump administration was going to usher in an era of lighter regulation. So that's positive for banks, but as we know, things don't happen fast in Washington. Uh, Mr. Trump is discovering that himself <laughs> of late. Um, so that's going to take a while to flow through. Then there's the idea that his administration is going to usher in a you know, stronger economic growth. 
you know, that's going to take a while for that to filter through. So we haven't seen that yet. And then the third thing, and perhaps the biggest thing for banks, is what's happening with interest rates. And you just mentioned that we've seen bank stocks cool over the past month. Well, what's happened over the past month as well, we've seen yields on longer-dated debt come in. The 10-year is about 2.31%. Lowest lowest since November. Right, after the jobs number this morning. Think back just, you know, I guess around the end of February, mid-February, we were above 2.5%. So the bank stocks were really, you know, the most important thing is for banks stocks is the steepness of the yield curve and then the absolute level of interest rates. From the election through, say, to February, those are both really working in banks' favor, and yet these other things piling on. Altogether, that's what was driving the bank stocks. That's still, I don't think any investor is taking all those things off the table, but you're not going to see those come into the first quarter results. It's not going to be like returns on equity are suddenly going to go from 9 or 10% to 15%. That's not going to happen in the first quarter. I was going to get back to the commercial side and lending. This is obviously, you know, Donald Trump has shined a spotlight on that by saying, oh, my friends can't get, you know, loans. What are we expecting from lending? And you can well, also take – I know you have uh, – you, you've taken that. Well, lending is – this is going to be really interesting when we look at the first quarter because when you look at a bank, the the money they get from lending, they, it's called the net interest income. It's from what they – you know, the, the profit they make from taking your deposit and then lending it out. And just like any other business, banks, everyone thinks banks, oh, there it's magic in there. It's not. It, it comes down to its price and volume. So when the, the yield curve steepens and interest rates go up – that helps banks increase the the price that they can take in the market. So that's going to have probably gone up in the first quarter, which is a relief. The other side, though, the volume side, we've seen some pockets of loan growth slowing, most notably in business loans, where the rate of growth has really cooled and has continued to cool all through the first quarter. So there's going to be this push and pull in terms of net interest income. Was the increase in rates and the expansion in profit margins enough to offset any slowing on the volume side? I think the expectation is that there will be an increase in net interest income and that longer term, the increase in the profit margins is what will win the day. But you're definitely going to have a mixed picture on that, I think, in the first quarter. And then looking at the, uh, th- as we mentioned, the trifecta of banks that are reporting on Thursday, uh, is any one of them sitting in a better position now maybe than others? Or how, if we're looking specifically at these names, what, what are your expectations going into these reports? Well, I think it, uh, I mean, JP Morgan is still considered to be sort of the best of the bunch. Um, even if it doesn't have the highest valuation, I think Wells' valuation is still higher. But if you look at what's the bank that is just going to consistently churn out profits, you know, even if it's just by a little bit exceeded cost of capital, it's going to be JP Morgan. Wells Fargo, you have a couple of clouds hanging over its head. The sales tactics scandal is still out there. We're still waiting for a report from the board um, as to their findings into the scandal. And the other thing is Wells is much more exposed than, say, J.P. Morgan to the domestic U.S. economy, interest rates, and what's happening in the U.S. And what we've seen quarter over quarter for the past two, three years is that Wells' profit margin, the loans, what we're talking about just before, which is called the net interest margin, has just gotten ground lower and lower and lower. And as a result, their return on equity, which used to be leaps and bounds above everyone else, has also come much more in line with the other banks. Citigroup, um, they're, they're a bit different because you know they have a mix of both U.S., but in a lot of ways, the market sees them as much more internationally focused. What's going to be interesting with Citi is they have been sort of the 
the laggards in the bank stock rally. And a big reason for that is Citi has a really big business and exposure to Mexico. And, you know, there's been a lot of light and heat around Mexico with the Trump administration. So I think that has kept people somewhat, you know, made them less excited about Citigroup. Question will be, can their first quarter results show two things? Can they dampen those fears, but can they also show that they're really making progress in increasing their return on equity, which has been way below their cost of capital, moving it in a direction that convinces investors, hey, they will over time be able to exceed their cost of capital? Real quickly, um, the housing market. Wells obviously is a good barometer of how the housing market is going. What's your expectations uh, after the first quarter? We've obviously seen mortgage rates, while still historically low, rise. Right. So I think the expectation is that you're going – and what we've been seeing is there has been a fall off in refinance activity. Um, And the question always is can the – can you get a handoff for refinance activity if that starts to drop will be you know the slack will be picked up by purchase activity i think the expectation is that this spring is going to be a good selling season for housing if anything i guess the fear is that there's not enough inventory out there in a lot of places and that the lack of inventory might push prices up too far too fast which inhibits buying activity the, the refi side, though, you know, when rates go up, even though we're still at historic lows, people tend to pull back in refis. Banks like Wells and others have been, you know, trying to make up for that by pushing adjustable rate mortgages. But it's still, you know, people shy away. If you're saying, oh, I could have gotten a 30-year money for three and three quarters just three or four months ago, and now I'm looking at four and a quarter – that changes what your monthly payment is. So that does cool some of the mortgage activity, which for Wells, yeah, it's a big slug of their, their overall revenue. I want, I, one final thing. I just wanted to ask about – you always listen to J.P. Morgan's call for what Jamie might say about the U.S. economy and – he obviously was just out with the annual report. Right. I was going to say, I think everything uh, you're going to hear letter. this week is yeah. his annual letter is, you know, 30 pages long. He puts he really puts a lot of time and thought into that. So I think you, you've already sort of seen where his thinking for, is. I mean, but for things. listeners who haven't, you know, read the stories or about that, what did he sort of say? Well, he laid his letter out into a couple of sections and he was giving his views about the overall economy, but also what he would like to see about change with regulation under the new administration. So if you're interested in seeing what does Wall Street want from the administration? That's a good place to go and read that, and you'll get a sense of the areas where they're saying, hey, tweak this, change this, get rid of this. But notably, what he wasn't saying is, let's just scrap all of Dodd-Frank, go to a clean slate, and start all over again. And they'll buy back more stock. Well, that's yeah, that's definitely what uh, he and, and others are hoping for, is that lesser regulation will let them you know return more capital. And that's one thing Jamie was saying, Oregon in his letter, is that they have a lot of excess capital at this point. Thank you very much. Um, this has been Steve Grosser with Dave Riley and Steve Russell and Josh Mitchell earlier. Uh, catch us next uh, later in the week. Chief information officers, long regarded as technical gurus serving the business, are often today's visionaries, evangelists, and change agents for the business. Join Deloitte's Lou DiLorenzo in conversation with tech leaders who've challenged the status quo, redefining the CIO's role by transforming organizations and industries. Where technology and influence converge, new opportunities and value can emerge. 